Well, brothers and sisters, it is indeed good to be here. My name's Pete Stacey, the evening pastor, but it's great to be here in the morning. And what a lovely, cool morning it is today. What a week of contrast it's been, hey? Today we come to the end of this letter, uh, and I've personally found it a deeply encouraging and oftentimes very challenging too. And what we see in today's passage is a stack of final thoughts before signing off and sending the letter. We do that kind of thing sometimes, uh, like the list of things you leave for the house sitter who's going to look after your pets, your post and your pot plants uh, while you're away. Uh, Long lists, uh, lots of little important points. Sometimes we just say it, don't we? Like when we're farewelling that child on the school bus for the excursion. Remember your manners. Don't get into trouble. Have a good time. Brush your teeth. Uh, we'll miss you heaps. And um, don't forget your medication. It's with the teacher. Oh, and if you see Uncle Peter, say good day to him. We love you. Bye. Scattergun, isn't it? I can understand why some people have described the end of Paul's letters as kind of a scattergun approach. So many ideas and thoughts and instructions and reminders and greetings all thrown in together with no real depth or detail. But fortunately, elsewhere in Paul's letters, he does go into depth and detail on so many of these things so we can understand them and unpack them more fully. What I want to do today is simply offer some brief thoughts and clarifications on each of these verses, and by doing so, remind us of the wonderful truths as we come to the end of this series on 1 Thessalonians. So let's pray as we begin. Dear Father, thank you for your word. It truly is, as the psalmist wrote, a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. As we open your word now here this morning, please help us to understand it and then walk in the light of your truth. And to keep our feet on your path by cheerfully obeying all that we understand. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, please do keep your Bibles open. Uh, Let's have a quick reminder of the journey so far. There's a really good summary on YouTube. I've mentioned it before. Uh, Just Google Bible Project 1 Thessalonians. It looks kind of like that. Uh, Really helpful. But it goes for over eight minutes. I want to give you a 30-second summary. Don't get your stopwatches out. But here we go. Chapter 1, Paul rejoices because the Thessalonians responded to the gospel. Chapter 2, Paul remembers his own ministry among them. Chapter 3, Paul is relieved when he hears that they are flourishing in their faith despite opposition. Chapter 4 and 5, Paul talks about the return of Jesus and how they are to respond to God while they wait. That's where our passage is today. There you go. That was less than 30 seconds, I think. It's pretty good, wasn't it? Paul rejoices. He remembers. He's relieved. He talks about Jesus' return and how they should respond. Apparently some people like alliteration. I attended a Christian school uh, in years five and six, and I remember one afternoon having a memory verse competition, four groups uh, going around, taking turns reciting memory verses. Uh, And if they couldn't get a memory verse in 15 seconds, they were out. Well, the first couple of rounds are fairly easy, as uh, people were saying, ones we'd learn in class and that sort of thing. Uh, And all the favourites were used up. Uh, And then it got a bit harder. And I was glad that I knew the opening verses of this passage. Goes round, comes to our turn. Rejoice always. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Our team survives another round. 
The other teams are sweating it out, but they all scrape through. Our turn again. Pray continually. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Take that. Our team survives again. As they go around, one team drops out, gets back to us. And I went, Jesus wept. It's a verse in John 11, 35. You can look it up later. The other teams were a bit annoyed at that point. <laughs> Friends, these are short verses, but they are packed with such life-enriching meaning. Let's have a look. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So many believers ask at times in their life, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? And this is one of several ways God so wonderfully answers that question. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Notice they're all relational words, words that describe the vertical relationship a person can have with the living God. We rejoice when the security of our heart is shaped by God's promises. Unlike mere happiness, God-given joy cuts through circumstances and isn't undermined by feelings that go all over the place. In the face of opposition, Nehemiah, in fact, I am going to read the next two verses. Thanks, John, for that suggestion. Nehemiah chapter 8. Remember, that was about them all hearing the word of the Lord that had been found. Uh, chapter 8 goes on to say this. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Deep God-given joy. And as we read through the Psalms, lots of mentions of joy. And so often the response is to encourage singing as an expression of that God-given joy. Rejoice always. Now, what about prayer? I remember an old lady who said, I wake up every morning with, hello, Lord, and I never hang up. <laughs> Love it. Throughout history, there have been many outstanding Christians who lives, whose lives have illustrated this great truth. Lawrence was one such man, brother Lawrence to those who knew him well. He was a kitchen hand in Paris in the 1600s. He wrote a little book called The Practice of the Presence of God. That's what it looks like in Kurong. Uh, <laughs> describing his own journey of learning to pray continually. See, he loved Jesus and wanted Jesus to transform his whole life. That little book has had a profound impact on thousands of believers ever since, and it's still in print today, over 400 years later. What about give thanks? What does this look like in practice? And a beautiful but 
sin-broken world. Life is often challenging and none of us need any help to complain or find faults or see the problems and pitfalls in the world, in other people, in politics and politicians, in work, church, family, life. What we do need is to learn and practice being thankful. There's an old song, I haven't heard it for decades, but it's called Count Your Blessings. This is great. I'm just going to savour this moment because when I say that tonight, there'll be blank faces. (laughs) Listen to some of these words. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. And then the chorus goes, count your blessings, count them one by one. I'm loving it. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings, because money cannot buy your reward in heaven, nor your home on high. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. And then we repeat the chorus. And we can do so over a couple later on. (laughs) I visited my mum yesterday. She's getting older, losing energy, losing memory, losing health. She's always had such a bright outlook on life and has never been one to complain. So I was quite surprised when she said to me yesterday... I've decided to work at being more thankful in life. (laughs) I thought it was lovely. As a family in our own home, um, we often pray at the table and sometimes we do a lap or two finishing this simple sentence, Dear God, I thank you for. And we'll go around the table. And once you get started, it's pretty easy to do four or five laps without repeating anything once. Um, I encourage you to give it a go. Rejoice. Pray and give thanks. Before we move on, did you notice the time references in these verses? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. That means there is never a moment in life when these three features are unnecessary or irrelevant. But how can you possibly rejoice, pray and give thanks when you've lost your job or your home has been burned to the ground or a loved one has died? The key words are right there at the end. In Christ Jesus. This is not something that anyone can do. The capacity to rejoice always, pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances is God's gift only to those who belong to Jesus. Those who, like the Thessalonians, have turned from idols, turned from sin and turned to put their trust in Christ. 
and receive God's indwelling spirit to strengthen them as they live in faith. And that's probably why Paul says the next thing. Do not quench the spirit. One of the metaphors the Bible uses to describe the Holy Spirit is fire. It's so powerful. It can help or harm, as we're all so aware right now. But consider the good side for a moment. A fire warms us on a cold night. It's so good to look at. It can cook our food and boil our water. It can forge iron and shape glass and refine gold. But for all it's good, it only takes water to quench it and to put it out. Dear friends, we quench the Spirit of God when we're deaf to his voice, when we do not listen to him, when we're slow to obey, or when we're downright disobedient. God gives us his Holy Spirit because he loves us. His Spirit secures our salvation by indwelling every believer. And he shapes our character in readiness for heaven. He reminds us of God's great and precious promises and empowers us to live the Christian life, to rejoice, pray and give thanks. He comforts us and counsels us and helps us to understand the word that he breathed into being, the scriptures, and so much more. Dear friends, let us not quench the spirit whom God has given to live inside us. And following on from this, let us not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to the good, and reject every kind of evil. Now, can I give you a broad definition of prophecy? God speaking to people through people. In one sense, that describes the whole Bible. But Paul is not referring to God's written word here because the Old Testament was already written and tested and approved by God and the New Testament wasn't written. What Paul is referring to here is all the things God is saying to the Thessalonians through people in their current context. Like our culture, there's lots of people telling their version of truth about the world, about life, about God. How should we respond? Paul says, don't show contempt. That's an ungodly response that doesn't bear fruit for the gospel. Instead, we are to test them all, holding on to what is good and rejecting every kind of evil. Now, some people believe that prophecy ended when the Bible was completed with the New Testament. Uh, but within the New Testament itself, there are examples of God speaking directly into specific situations. Oh, we saw that in Acts with uh, the fellow called Agabus in Acts chapter 11 and 21 and, and Paul several times as well. And the Bible contains everything we need to know. The Bible contains everything we need to know to be saved and to live a godly life. And yet God can and does still speak to people through people. Let me give you two examples for today. God speaks to people, through people, whenever someone explains and applies God's word to our lives. And in fact, we saw exactly that happening in that Nehemiah chapter as they explained the word of God and applied it directly to people's lives. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Tell me, is God's word in the scriptures ever wrong? I've got one shake of the head. 
No. Uh, tell me this then. Do you need to t test what I say? Good, I'm glad I got some nods to that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Why? Because God's not going to make any mistakes, but I could. I do. And I love it when someone comes up to me afterwards and, and challenges or wants to, to talk through more something that I've said. Friends, we need to be like the Bereans. Remember them in Acts chapter 17 who received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Here's the great apostle Paul. They were hearing him speak and teach and explain the scriptures. And what do they do? Oh, they went home and examined the scriptures to make sure it lined up. What a great model for us. Paul says it here in verse 21. Hold, test everything, hold on to the good and reject every kind of evil. Examine what you hear from any preacher or Bible study leader or Christian friend or some you know, teacher on, online. Test it. Compare it to God's word. And then hold on to his truth. Let it shape your whole heart. Let it shape the way you think and let it shape your behaviour. Live by it. That's what hold on to really means there in this passage. And then secondly, there's a kind of prophecy that's popular in some circles these days and maybe you've come across it. Have you ever heard someone say, God told me and then on it goes or, or I have a word from God for you. And then they describe something in the future, perhaps your future. Uh, there's a few examples in the New Testament where this happens. I mentioned uh, a couple a moment ago. How should we respond when that sort of thing happens? Verse 20. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them. Test them against the Bible. God never contradicts his written, spirit-breathed word. Sometimes such so-called prophecies are no more than wishful thinking. Sometimes they're downright manipulative and wrong. Like the man who said to the pretty young woman, God told me we're going to get married. To which she wisely replied, well, God didn't tell me. <laughs> and they never saw each other again. But sometimes God may be speaking through a caring friend. I've found it helpful to respectfully ask things like this. How did God speak to you? Or how do you know this is from the Lord? Or where is this in the Bible? Or what sort of Bible passages might, might support what you're communicating to me? And, and sometimes a really helpful conversation has followed. Now, this is something that troubles your, you or, or you've experienced this and it been kind of, it's produced a real inner conflict uh, in any way. The best thing to do is to talk about it with a godly friend who knows you and knows Jesus and knows the scriptures. Great to do. Verses 23 and 25, as he, as he moves on, are a beautiful example of mutual prayer. Paul prays for them and asks them to pray for him. The church leader there, uh, Paul, praying for the people. Beautiful prayer. And I'm going to finish in a, a moment by praying that prayer for all of us. We all need prayer support, don't we? 
leaders included, leaders especially. That's why uh, as a church, we pray for a few church members every week, slowly cycling through our whole address list. Um, And Paul's prayer is just a heartfelt summary of the whole letter. The importance of being sanctified by God and the importance of being ready for Jesus' return. In fact, no other New Testament letter has more to say about the return of Jesus. I encourage you to go home this afternoon. You'd have a look at that YouTube summary, but you could spend your time really well by just simply reading right through the whole letter again. And at the end of every single chapter, there's a reference to the return of the Lord and what it means for our lives today. Then in verse 26, before I finish, there's a couple of things worth mentioning. Verse 26, he says, greet all God's people with a holy kiss. Do you know what a holy kiss looks like? Do you want me to teach you? No, just joking. Um, In other words, there's there's a real bond we have as children of God, children who are saved and shaped by his deep love for us. And that should be tangible in the way we relate to each other. They won't know we are Christians, those outside the church, if they cannot see our love for one another. Now, a literal kiss may not always be appropriate in the situation, but warm affection between one another should mark our manners in God's family. Marketing consultants say that the things that stick in our minds most are the the first and the last events, the beginning and the end. What does Paul start his letter and finish his letter with? Look at verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's beautiful, isn't it? Grace. It is the grace of God that saves us. His grace that sanctifies us. His grace that keeps us blameless until the return of our Lord Jesus. So friends, let me conclude by praying Paul's prayer for all of us here this morning. Let's pray. May you, Lord, God himself, the God of peace, sanctify each of us through and through. May our whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because you, Lord, who call us are faithful and you will do it. Amen.